Welcome to the One Might One Voice Show, building the collective conscience, a show that is created to give space where your voice, ideas, and informed opinions can be heard, appreciated, and debated. I am Michael Eric Owens. And that's right, folks. I am back in the building. Uh, it's your boy, DT. Man, man, welcome back. Thank you, man. Thank you. I know some of you may... Uh, May have thought there was only one host on the show. Maybe, <laughs> maybe it's your first time listening, but there are two voices normally. Absolutely. Um, I do get absent here and there, you know. Um, but Mike holds it down every single time, and I appreciate that. And you've done it once again while I was away. Uh, this time I actually was doing all those wonderful things that you always think I'm mm. doing when I'm just kind of doing normal stuff. So this time I did get me a, a pina colada. Right. <laughs> right. Toes in the sand. <laughs> right. Man, I needed that reset just to, you know, recharge and refocus the energy for this next part of the year. So uh, happy to be back in the studio, man. Good to see your face. Rich is over here uh, looking all joyous and uh, giving us a thumbs up. So, hey, man, I'm, I'm happy to be back in the studio. Well, you were missed, definitely. And, um, you know, I noticed Richard, uh, he don't have on the one mic, one voice T-shirt today. I mean, he, man, he... Um, Man, I feel disrespected up in here. You know I mean, what I mean? I'm closer to him. Should I hand him? Yeah, just, just like, oh, oh I mean, he got I, the Kango logo back. on, though. I just got back. <laughs> yeah, go easy on him. You just got back. But thank you for joining us on this Sunday afternoon for episode 121. Wow. Wow, man. We build in the catalog, folks. Lots, A lot is going on in our world. And uh, today's show is titled The Controlling the Lives of Black People. And we could even say controlling the lives of minorities because uh, we do realize that uh, what we're seeing day to day, sometimes hour by hour, what we're seeing is uh, nothing new. Uh, it has taken on, um, you know, maybe a new tactic, maybe, in the modern era, but it is about controlling the movement, the accessibility, um, the empowerment of those that are not in the dominant culture. But the big question, D, is why are white people the dominant culture? And I mean, let me just say this now. Again, I don't want to be criticized because I'm not inferring this to every white person on the planet. You're going to be criticized. <laughs> you folks, folks that know me that um, that have spent time with me, have even read the things I have written throughout the years and listened to the speeches I have given, you are convinced that I'm not, I'm not talking about all white people. Some of my mentors, my greatest mentors are white folks. And uh, my family is a rainbow of color. So don't get it twisted. I'm not talking about all white people. I'm talking about the dominant culture, those that exist within this this framework that feel as though they have the right, the privilege um, to control the lives of black people and minority people. So what I want to do, uh, what we want to do just starting out here is an, an audio that I want you to listen to that... Um, that talks a little bit about um, this very subject. Take a listen. Video of two black men being taken from a Philadelphia Starbucks in handcuffs. This is from back in April. The manager called the police after the men were just sitting there waiting for someone for a business meeting without ordering anything. Other related videos have followed. In the past few months, several white people have now been recorded calling police on black people who were just going about their daily lives in myriad places. The dorm, the pool, mowing the lawn. Karen Grigsby Bates from our Code Switch team looks at why those calls have become so prevalent. The video of that Starbucks encounter went viral in a matter of hours. People still talk about it. 
Writer Melissa DePino was in the Starbucks on Spruce Street when it happened and was shocked. I know these things happen, but um, I've never actually physically witnessed it myself. And when I saw it, I thought, people need to see this. Some people argue that the tape might not show the whole story, but witnesses agree it does. Because we live so separately and because it doesn't happen to us, those of us who are white, we haven't believed them. That's Robin D'Angelo. She's white and has spent her professional life writing, training, and teaching white people about race and social justice issues. Her latest book is White Fragility, Why It's So Hard for White People to Talk About Racism. Many, maybe most white people, D'Angelo says, tend to second-guess black complaints about racism. Are you sure that's what they meant? I think you're oversensitive. You're playing the race card. But technology has made it a little harder to make that argument, says Professor Jody Armour. Thanks to social media, there's no longer as much impunity-free discrimination that people can express toward others. Armour teaches at the University of Southern California's Gould School of Law, and many of his classes and lectures are about how race is used and misused by the legal system. You can look at what's going on right now as just an expression of the age-old black tax. The black tax is the price black people pay because of stereotypes and prejudice in America in their official interactions with police and in their everyday interactions with ordinary citizens. Writer Robin D'Angelo agrees that white supervision of the black presence is very American. We have always policed the bodies of people of color, and again, black people in particular. The Jim Crow South is a classic example. Uh, white flight in the North, uh, school segregation, uh, gerrymandering. Add to that cutting the lawn, delivering newspapers, visiting the pool. Oh, and this. We have this lady that's been walking up from Mather, and um, like for no apparent reason is walking from house to house. That was 911 dispatch tape, and that lady was Oregon State Representative Janelle Bynum, who was campaigning in her district. She's up for re-election this fall. And yep, Bynum is black. It later got straightened out. The cop who came was great, the caller apologized, and they even laughed about it. But Starbucks witness Melissa DePino says white people calling the police on brown people like Bynum need to stop and think. What they don't seem to understand is that calling the police on a person of color for just going about their lives is extremely dangerous, given the way our policing and criminal justice system works. That was uppermost in Michelle Sahin's mind when she sat in that Philly Starbucks watching police arrest those two men. Sahin, a life coach, is black and says she'd spent an hour there watching the manager let some people use the space without ordering anything at all. There was a gentleman sitting next to me, a white man sitting next to me, for 45 minutes who didn't buy anything. I saw a white woman, mid-jog, come in to use the bathroom and leave. When the arrest began, Sahin says, no one spoke up at first. So she approached the police, even though she was afraid to. She didn't know if it would make a difference. But I have to try. I have to, I have to say something so these guys know that they're not alone. USC's Jody Armour says this is a role sympathetic white people can and should play. First and foremost, white allies um, can start by taking advantage of their white privilege to make statements that blacks can't make, to be in places that blacks often aren't. And Robin D'Angelo agrees. White silence in the presence of racism is complicity. Karen Grigsby-Bates, NPR News. Wow, that's a lot to unpack. Yeah, we're back. I mean, it's a lot to unpack, man. I mean, the policing... Of black bodies, mm. the um, just just some of the things you know this this idea that black people, minorities, we can talk about Muslims, we can talk about our Hispanic brothers and sisters, that somehow, as you go about your daily lives, that people are policing you, that people are watching you simply because of the color of your skin and the stereotypical views um, that are tossed across the radio waves and airways, TV, movies, 
that we are being police, which is, and we will get into this later on, which is not a new phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Very American. Very American, man. Think about that. I mean, <laughs> you know, in this video, um, the fact that you have to convince people that you are being treated differently. I mean, that's the, I mean, think about the police shootings we have, D, right? This idea that he must have done something wrong. Yeah. Something. I mean, because a police officer wouldn't have treated him that way. <laughs> but I think it's important, like when she mentioned, um, you know, when people call the police and they show up and it's just, you know, a black person just doing a normal uh, daily functioning thing, uh, how dangerous that is because of the, the image is sent to that officer who's, you know, pretty much normalized this interaction between him now and the uh, black suspect. You know, it's just what they do. They're always hanging around the city, uh, lost in, uh, on other people's property. <laughs> and, you know, it's like uh, that's that's a dangerous kind of message to send to somebody. Then, you know, the people that he talks to, the interaction that he has with other black people in the community. Uh, is related to the things that he sees out there on the on the force or so correct in addition to that um you would have to have your head in the sand not to know what is happening with inter- in encounters with the police officers with minorities mm-hmm. so you you have to know that if you call this probably won't go well right that someone could die but they because, think they're doing the right thing, though, right? Well, and that's two different views of the police officers, right? I mean, there there are those that feel like the police are there to serve and protect, and there are those that feel like the police are there simply to do whatever they want to do with with your life, right? That they're they're there not to serve and protect, but to intimidate and punish. Closest right? person to God that they could call on you. Absolutely. So there's two different views. Right. Um, and and whether or not they're making that connection. Um, but it even gets to something deeper. We're going to take a break here, but it gets to something deeper into the psyche of those that feel like they have the right to call on a black person simply because they're in the same space with them or in the same neighborhood with them. Right. That somehow you don't deserve to be here and the only reason why you're here is because you're gonna do me harm folks we gotta take this first break ouch and we'll be right back Oklahoma Humanities Brain Box podcast uses the humanities to take listeners on a deep dive into the issues affecting American society and culture. Join some of Oklahoma's most interesting and knowledgeable humanities scholars to explore how history, literature, ethics, philosophy, and other humanities fields inform our understanding of current events and the human experience. And to find the Brain Box podcast, simply search Brain Box podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Google Play, and any other podcasting library. If you have any ideas or comments rattling around in your noggin, email us at brainbox at okhumanities.org. This is Dr. Laura Jalat, and when I listen to podcasts, I always listen to the One Mic, One Voice show. All right, we're back. Quick break, D. Quick break. Because, man, we got a lot to cover. We do. It's been a while since we've we've seen each other. We've been doing some out of off the air, dapping it up. Absolutely. We got to get in deep, man. We're crawling in. We're crawling in the cave. Let's get to it. But nobody got to save us because we know our way out. Weaponizing 911. Man, what's that history, man? Okay, so it says that it was his first day on the job. A 12-year-old kid with a newspaper route. That rite of passage for so many American boys and girls. Uriah Sharp gathered the pile of newspapers he was to deliver and set out with his mother and older brother. 
to a sign neighborhood of Upper Arlington, Ohio, an affluent Columbus suburb. That's where Sharp, a young African-American boy, excited to earn a little money, instead encountered a lesson far more enduring than the value of hard work, the insidious persistence of American racism. Sharp had only delivered a few papers before police descended on him and his mother. The police had been summoned by a woman who called 911 because of two suspicious African-Americans who she saw approaching her houses in in her heavily white suburb. Less than 1% of Upper Arlington residents are African-American, according to the 2010 census. Last week's incident in Upper Arlington comes as just the latest entry in a too-long list of white Americans who have called the 911 emergency service on their black neighbors for doing nothing illegal at all, including hanging out in a Philadelphia Starbucks, sleeping in a dorm common room at Yale, entering their rented Airbnb in California, and grilling out in an Oakland park. These are just the high-profile instances from the three last months, from the last three months. But as a former 911 dispatcher recently wrote in Vox, and as far too many people of color who know all too well, white Americans make racist calls to 911 on a daily basis, using the emergency service as a personal hotline to vent their paranoid fantasies while imperiling the lives of African Americans and their persons of color and other persons of color. Mm. Wow. Happens okay. all the time, Mike. All the time. You know what, man? There was a there was a guy in my neighborhood. Um, and it was hot. It was like you know at the beginning of the summer. He had on jeans, had on a big jacket, mm-hmm. had a mask over his head. <clears throat> the jeans were ripped up. Uh, you just look like a strange character. And you know my my street is almost on a, a cul de sac, and mm-hmm. so. I mean, he had an outlet, but it's like, you know, why is he taking this route to get mm-hmm. wherever he's going? But, you know, a couple of my neighbors, they were already on, on the line. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he had his head covered, but he looked like a black dude. Yeah. You know, just the way he was dressed. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were at least three of my neighbors. But by the time I noticed, they were outside on their cell phones. Mm-hmm. I had these yeah. somebody to come over here and check this out. And like I said, it looked strange, but. I mean, he wasn't bothering anybody. He just looked strange walking down the street. Yeah. Wow. When 911 launched 50 years ago, some authorities warned that the system convenience could cause clogged phone lines and unnecessary police action. But 911 ease and accessibility permitted far darker abuses than just an overworked police force. It provided a direct line for white races, often anonymously, and with rare, rare penalty to activate law enforcement against their black neighbors among the instruments of white privilege. 911 now must be surely included. Wow. (laughs) I mean, that's, that's, you know, but but again, you have to ask the question, why, why, why in America, why can't a person that looks like me go anywhere they want to, without being seen as a threat well throughout history i mean we can we can i'll just toss out some things sundown towns right well if you're black you had to get out before the sun was down right i mean we can talk about segregation we can talk about these these and many times laws that govern right uh that controlled the movement, the upward movement, where black folks could live, these laws that controlled the lives of black people. And why call? Let me just say this. I think these people that call know the vulnerability of black people. They know the law does not protect us like them. They know that when the officer shows up, I'm not going to have an equal voice as they do. They know that there's no penalty for doing what they do. That's why they do it. They they have seen, D, they've seen the police brutality where black people are just shot and killed um, and have no weapon on them, right? They've seen black people being beat down. I saw a guy that, you know, was sitting on the sidewalk, man. He was 
trying to follow the police command. He was getting several different commands, and and they tased the guy. He's sitting on the sidewalk. How is he a threat to you? That speaks to the vulnerability of black people, socioeconomic status, right? Uh, Think about the role of the officer in the African-American's life. Mm. I mean, just whoever you are, just think about your experience with uh, law enforcement. I mean, pretty much anywhere you've grown up, uh, he wasn't looked at as a superhero. No. And Terminator. Um, and so even given blacks experience with police officers, like you're saying, the history tells us that white folks also know of this history and this, you know, kind of battle between uh, police and black folks. And so it's it's kind of like, you know, the boogeyman mm. <laughs> called a boogeyman. On yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's called on you. Mm-hmm. It's not called to to settle a dispute it's called on you. It's called to control you. It's called to get you out of this place and put you in your place. That's why they are called, right? And we think about the the systemic racism. You know, we the show last week was on systemic racism. Um, people know the inequities that exist, and they know that it's going to be punitive whenever they call they know black people are vulnerable because of that history and because of the political rhetoric coming from this 45 Mm -hmm. i mean we're going to listen to something here just in a second (laughs) and you've heard this before but this is the rhetoric that comes from the top that highlights in in his mind Right. The condition of black people, which speaks to the vulnerability of black people, because then all people begin to look at us in this way. Take a listen. Our government has totally failed our African-American friends, our Hispanic friends and the people of our country, period. The Democrats have failed completely in the inner cities. For those hurting the most, who have been failed and failed by their politician year after year, failure after failure, worse numbers after worse numbers, poverty, rejection, horrible education, no housing, no homes, no ownership. Crime at levels that nobody's seen. You could go to war zones in countries that we're fighting, and it's safer than living in some of our inner cities. They're run by the Democrats. And I ask you this, I ask you this. Crime, all of the problems to the African-Americans, who I employ so many, so many people, to the Hispanics, Tremendous people. What the hell do you have to lose? Give me a chance. I'll straighten it out. I'll straighten it out. What do you have to lose? Uh, Okay. Okay. Well... Okay, this <laughs> I didn't know the Democrats was running the inner city. I I didn't I didn't I didn't know that somebody was when I was in the hood, growing up in the hood, I didn't know the Democrats was running it. According to this clown, the Democrats are running the the hood. I want you to tell that to the brothers down there. I think they'll disagree with you about who's running that space, right? Um hmm. But the government, right, is running the hood, right? The government is responsible. Well, the government is responsible. It's, to, it's called redlining, and um, we'll touch on that. But, you know, I, I think what's, what's striking to me about this video, D, is he, he, he gives this characterization of um, what the black community is like, mm-hmm. poverty, rejection, Horrible education, no home ownership. He said it's a war zone, right? You're safer in Fallujah than you are in the black community. And then he segues into this thing 
about himself. And this is the problem. Because remember, we're talking about controlling the lives of black people, controlling the lives of minorities. He segues into the fact that I employ a lot of them. I'm in control of a lot of them. I'm in control of their destiny. Right? Without me, they wouldn't have a job. I employ a lot of them. Me. Right? The other thing. What the hell do you have to lose? Give me a chance. And then his most dangerous statement is, I will fix it. In other words, I will fix you. Right? I'm your savior. Right? The condition that you are in, I will fix you. I'll fix your community. I'll get rid of the crime. Right? Is that not paternalistic? So, Father 45. Right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, think about how condescending that is. That black people, you're not capable of fixing your own self. You need me to do it. Right? First of all, the Democrats couldn't fix you, fix you right? But I can. Right? Right? Notice how we are placed in a childlike status. Right? That's kind of slavery, isn't it? Right? They need to be governed because they can't govern themselves. That's deep. Say you, my brother. Ouch. He said a lot. Uh, but, you know, even the, the audience he's speaking to is, you know, mostly white people. And even when he gets the uproar after he makes that statement, it's almost uh, you're not even talking to the people that you're talking to. Mm-hmm. You know, those people are sitting on the other side of that television screen or wherever they're watching that from and disagreeing with you, not, mm-hmm. you know, clapping their hands. Yeah. Like, yeah, he's right. Yeah. What do we have to lose? Yeah. Uh, but I, I even even now that he's in position, you know, we can't see uh, any substantial markers that show us in a better position than we were before uh, we elected him as president. The question is, do we need the president to do anything for us? You see, the dominant culture doesn't look to government. To fix them or solve their problems. They have they they what they have imprinted into the black mind is that we need government to help us. That in itself places us psychologically down the ladder, right? We don't need Donald Trump, the Democrats, or the Republicans or government to fix us or to help us. We are human just like them. We have capabilities just like them. We have strength of character just like them. We're human. We can help our damn selves. I am a man, not less of a man, because I live might live in the inner city. I'm a man. I don't need a big house to define whether I'm not successful, whether I'm successful or not. I don't need a fancy car to do that, right? What I need to do is live with dignity, provide for my family, right? Be a good citizen, right? I am a citizen t-shirt, by the way. I'm wearing that right now. Get yours. Looking sharp, too. Man, I appreciate it. Get yours. Take a selfie. But what I'm saying is, the whole idea that that the dominant culture thinks they can police us is not only written in the American Constitution, but it's also written in the fabric of our culture, right? That's the problem, right? And we have a lot of us, I'm not going to say all of us, because I know I, I have my black critics out there too, and... Uh, that's all right, because I can, I can handle all the criticism. doesn't bother me. But we, 
as black people cannot look beyond the mirror for our help. Right? Are we not men in here? I mean, are we boys? I mean, do we do we run to mama and daddy? No, we're men. We need to, brother, change the mentality of the black community. Right. I think that imagery that you posted up uh, of the the business fellow and yes, he's, he's puppeteering. <laughs> Uh, the man below him, but I mean that 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 image just gives a powerful, uh, so it should send a powerful message to what is really happening in the grand scheme of, of things. Um, even when we talk about the reliance on government and these other entities that are supposed to wave the magic wand in the hood and and clean up our issues, uh, when like you said, it really starts with looking at that person in the mirror, figuring out what it is that you are capable of, and doing all of it. Uh, you know, a lot of times we are sitting on our hands waiting for that, that savior. Um, and, you know, we, we're waiting on ourselves essentially to step up and, and be recognized and move things forward. But um, I even go back to my statement about, you know, the police being the boogeyman. I would even mm-hmm. say in context now that you mentioned, you know, Daddy Trump or, you know, Daddy mm-hmm. 45, you know, it's like calling your daddy. Yeah. You know, I'm going to call your daddy. <laughs> you know, you're really going to be in trouble now. You know, and I think that's uh that's the response we get, you know, when when we see, you know, police in our in our neighborhoods. I'm going to make a statement here. Minority people are afraid to go certain places in this country. Won't Not, even attempt it. Exactly. Not because they think people that live there are better than them. Not because they don't feel like they can communicate and have fun and and hold their own. They are afraid simply because of the skull, the, the the skin color that they are in. That's why they're afraid. Now, let's 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 look at this thing. Okay, it's about controlling the lives of minority people. Let me just toss out a couple of couple of things that historically have been used to control mainly black people. The big one is slavery. Wow. I think that's that's almost the ultimate control, right? You hold someone as a slave. The ultimate control is to own somebody. Like you own a car. Like we own that as they used to say back in the day, that guitar you got over there, right? That's yours. You own it. It's a possession. Convict leasing. Put them right back in slavery. The black codes, which basically told you what you can do, what you can't do. Now, you can't, if, if, if the black code said that you couldn't even sit on a, on a jury, right? You couldn't even have a jury of your peers, right? And if someone did you wrong, according to the black codes, and they were white, you couldn't even bring a charge against them. Incompetent. If that's not controlling, I don't know what is. Jim Crow. Wow, that's pretty controlling. Redlining. No, you can't get a loan here. Mm-mm. Nope. None of you in this area can get a loan. Nope. Eh. How about real estate back. covenants? Nah, you can't move in this neighborhood. Nah, we don't sell to black people, right? That's not controlling. What about the war on drugs, right? When you send crack into the inner city, when you send 10 times the amount of police officers into the inner city, when you arrest somebody for crack cocaine versus powder cocaine and the crack cocaine addict gets three times the sentence, we have people right now with three strikes simply for smoking crack cocaine. That's not controlling. Yeah, I took your freedom away. Now you're a slave. Mass incarceration. Yeah, that's not controlling, is it? Yeah. Uh-huh. Now we get to this thing. You know what? Man. Now I'm gonna call the cops on you. <laughs> right? Five oh. Yeah. I can't I, I can't I can't necessarily enslave you. 
Right. But I can use another tool. I can call Master. Master, come get you. Take you out of my space. You don't belong here. And if you object, Master might kill you. Folks, listen, we're getting deeper. We're getting deeper. I hope, I hope you're sitting back and relaxing in your I Am A Citizen t-shirt. <laughs> we get deeper into this thing. Get your notepad. Get your notepad. Get your notepad, folks. Nice coffee and tea. <laughs> Wine. Whatever it takes to get you there. Folks, we'll be right back. This is DT of the One Mic, One Voice podcast. just want to let you guys know you can go over to iTunes and search us at One Mic, One Voice and be sure to rate and review our episodes. Let us know about any feedback that you have and what you enjoy about the episodes. Also, you can go over to Stitcher where you can get the latest and freshest episodes of our podcast streamed directly to your smartphone or iPad. No downloading or syncing. How cool. Real smooth. Also, we'd just like to take the time to thank you for your time and for your energy and for spending time with us as we discuss the historical record of our time. All right, folks, we're coming back and we, we got a couple of comments. Our listener says it's funny how he mentions nothing about how he instructed his hotel manager. He was not to hire any black people at all. We're talking Ouch. about 45 here when he made the comment about uh, what, do, what do blacks and uh, Hispanics have to lose. Uh, she also says he cannot help anyone he has no respect for, which I totally agree with. I mean, that's anybody. I mean, he's got a racist history, you know. But, again, he alone. Like, don't you find this whole um, this whole predicament? Very strange, and you know we have these uh, counteracting messages. We tell each other, "Love thy neighbor." Mm. Um, you know, turn the other cheek. Mm. Uh, treat others as you would like to be treated. Mm. Um, and then you know, life happens, and all that seems to just go out of the window. We constantly arguing, bickering, fighting, talking about. Um, who deserves to be, who doesn't deserve to be, what, here, there. Well, if 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 you start something out built upon a lie, you can never find truth unless you correct the lie. America was built upon a lie that black people were less, that in that native peoples were less than white Europeans. That's the lie. You build systems that strengthen the lie. And we get in the 21st century and you elect a person that runs on the lie. Make America great again. And people get behind the lie. You can't get truth out of a lie because a lie, again, takes a person and places them in bondage to that lie. That's why the good book, you know, y'all can quote it, too. The Lord said only the truth will set you free. (laughs) That's it. Only that will liberate your mind. Only then can we live up to those three quotes that you brought out. Only then can we do that because we are still living a lie, right? But every time, every time a white person calls the cops and the cops show up and they remove like they did those brothers in Starbucks, man, they handcuffed them, man. They spent hours in jail. For just being black in Starbucks. Every time that happens, it reinforces the lie that you're not good enough. And guess what, D? I control you. I can get you up out of here anytime I want to. You are only here because I allow you to be. 
That's what that's what the statement is. When we find ourselves, I don't care whether you are uh, in a Fortune 500 company, look around you. How many minorities are there? You're probably the only one. And you are there only because they allow you to be. And the minute they're tired of you, the minute that you cause waves or the minute that you express your identity in contrast to theirs, you're out of there. They might not call the police unless you unless you refuse to leave when they fire your ass. But they control the space. This has always been. It's always been. Why? White privilege. White privilege. Man, think about it, man. I don't I don't think I've ever called the cops on anybody. I don't think I ever have (laughs) because I know how serious that is, man. And I don't want to be caught lying to the police officer. Never called the cops as a a kid playing my phone. Nah, bro. I knew better than that. Mom and daddy get you. Nah, you don't want to do that. Um, White privilege, as I said before, this whole idea of take our country back the notion is it's their country. It's not our country. We don't belong here. And blacks are not seen as humans. Okay, take this, for instance. If I know that I could make this call and you could get killed because of that call, would I make that call? Not if I saw you as being human and having value of being somebody's son, somebody's daughter, maybe somebody's wife or husband, brother, sister. If I saw you as I see myself, I wouldn't make that call unless I actually knew my life was in danger. Yeah, they sitting over there, they ain't bought nothing. Look at them. Must be getting ready to take something. Man, they going to do something in here. Look, just look, they, they look, they just talking, but I know. Mm-mm. One of them probably got a gun. Yeah, got a gun. Both got dr- probably, probably got a, a drug deal going down right now. Are they high on something? Why are you so concerned about black people anyway? Black people that are minding their own business. I watched a video yesterday. A brother was shopping. Somebody called and said he had a gun. They come in the store. Four or five cops pull the brother out and he going off. They search him. He ain't got no gun on him. He said, Ben, I'm here trying to spend money. This is ridiculous. Oh, maybe ridiculous to him, but not to those who control his life. You see, we can remove you at any time. You see, calling on black people, right, reestablishes and reaffirms white supremacy. Just like you talked about how, um, you know, all these little other actions that go uh, unnoticed kind of reinforce the lie. And so where do those people pick up the perception of black folk not having value uh, and not being people who are, you know, human and uh citizens of the society uh i think there are a lot of other things that are playing on that person's mind Mm. to you know that influence that idea that you know this person pretty much just needs to get out of here because they're probably up to no good anyway Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well it's the stereotypes it's the idea that black people are prone to criminology um criminality not 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 that the statistics support that um you know that that we're um dangerous individuals right and and we need to be controlled and police elijah said what do you two gentlemen think about christianity and racism for example people like 45 who publicly worship the lord but will be the first person to have a black person removed from somewhere well you know i've been saying this for years christianity is broke christianity in 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 united states is a joke 
it is uh, it's infused with um, the ideology of republicanism and conservatism, which have nothing to do with the holy writ. It has everything to do with white nationalism. So, um, yeah. How do I feel about it? I'm not shocked because um, the slave master went to church. Fred Douglas said he hated when he went to church because when he came back, he, his beatings were worse. Justified. Justified. In the name of the Lord. The Bible has been used to justify slavery. Um, so, yeah, I think it's typical for what we call American Christianity, in my opinion, which is devoid of any type of spirituality or brotherly love. I think it just amounts to white nationalism, supremacy, and brotherly and sisterly, if that a word, hate. Yeah, uh, I'm not apologist for um, the pimps in the pulpit. Ouch. Black and white. And some of the baddest pimps are some white ones <laughs> with the mega churches. Mm-hmm. That's a whole nother one. <laughs> That's a whole nother one. Living large in the name of the Lord. But let's look at, uh, we're going to skip this last break. And go right into this thing, D. Let's look at um, what what can be done. What we want to look at five things that white folks can do before they call the popo. <laughs> Ain't that what y'all call it, young folks nowadays? Oh, oh. We used to call it five o. Five o. Is it is a new saying for them now? No, it's pretty much standard. Popo, uh, yeah, same language. I think that's weak, though. <laughs> Popo, I think that's weak, man. Popo. I think five O is like legit, much more like that came egregious. From the East Coast, though, so you know, they... Popo is kind of weak. Popo, you know, that's almost like Papa. Papa, you know, that's what I said. It's your daddy, I'm calling your daddy, <laughs> calling pops on you. But what about get these... your black ass back in the house? <laughs> right. <laughs> let's uh, let's look at five things. White people can do before they call the cops on black folks. Okay. You got that, D? <laughs> All right. Number one, take several deep breaths. That's it. In and out on a two and three count. Two, three. Two, three. You know what that, you know that meditation app you optimistically downloaded a while back? Now that's the time. That's the time. To click on and give it a very real, get very real about those deep breaths. Because in reality, um, and we're making light of it, but in reality, pausing for a moment, right, to think about what you're doing is really what that is, right? And um, go ahead, D. I'm... Yeah, bring your heart rate down, you know, sell yourself. Um you have a clearer mind, be able to make a, a great decision. Number two, ask yourself what you're really angry about. Mm. Now, see, this is this is uh, this might be one of the most important things because um, you at this point, you might have the opportunity to confront your own biases. True enough. And your own um, fears. Right. Are you afraid? And then you ask yourself, why are you afraid, right? Why are you afraid? Has has this person, did did those two gentlemen in Starbucks do anything to make you afraid, right? This whole situation is an opportunity for self-analysis, so be sure to utilize it. Go ahead. All right, number three, remember that you're no saint yourself. Ouch. Ouch. Mm. Yeah, who's calling the police on you? Mr. Perfect. Five miles over the speed limit. Mrs. Mrs. Perfection. Mr. J walking every time I want. (laughs) (laughs) You're not perfect, right? You're not blameless. You're not flawless. And you've done things that, guess what? Many of us should have had a confrontation with the police. But... Because of your own privilege, 
You didn't. Or maybe you actually did have a confrontation with the police, but still because of your privilege, he just let you go on back home to mama. What else, D? All right, number four, take an implicit bias test. This can mm. be very, very helpful. Just to check your biases at the door, figure out where you stand, and move forward from there. And I think these people that I see calling, you know, for instance, calling on the the kid that was selling water, you know, I think they don't have to take the test. We already know you're a racist, right? And that you you could care less about the potential to mere rice. Well, Tamir Wright's 12 years old. 12 years old. Okay. Shot dead by the cops. Mm. Right. How would you like someone calling the cops on your child? Oh. Those toys are sold in the store, mm. too. Right? That's different now, huh? Calling on little Johnny? I, I don't, I don't, I would, maybe I would just like somebody to talk to little Johnny instead of calling the cops on him, Right. Where are your implicit biases? What are they, right? Are you aware of them? Last thing, D. All right, number five. Order a book that deconstructs racism in America. Wait for it to be delivered. Read it all the way through. And then ask yourself again if you should call the cops. Mm. Interesting. Wow. And um, and we'll post this article uh, up on our um, website. So, Mike, what I draw from this is that they're very – a lot of things you can do first before you even have to pick up the phone. A lot of things. Number one, the big thing is at, at the bottom. I'm 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 glad that she put this number five. Is you need to get educated. Mm-hmm. Get out of your ignorance. Understand that when when black people are telling you these things, it's okay to believe them. Man, what's what's wrong with believing us, man? What 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 is the problem with believing? What I'm trying to convey to you. Like what? How does it benefit me to, to tell you I'm being discriminated against? To tell you that I feel like I don't fit in? What does it like you're going to turn around and what? Give me a what? A golden spoon? Like you're going to ding your employee of the month? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> what does it be? What I'm trying to do is educate you. And what I'm trying to do is to remove the stigma that either you or others have placed upon me. Why? Because it ain't right. It just simply is not right. It's, you know, to be human. To want to be treated like everybody else. To want to be seen as a dignified person. I don't think you're asking for the world. You're listen, black people are asking for what everybody else is getting. But somehow, mm, I love my black skin, by the way. I'm gonna keep it real. I I was asked the question, would I want to be white? And I will I didn't know I'd take that. <laughs> I thought I've never even thought about that. <laughs> I love the skin that I'm in. I never wanted to be anybody. Yes, I am who I am, right? Read about it. Pick it up at Amazon, by the way. It's a reflection on me, on identity. And ain't nothing in that book talking about being somebody else. Man. But, D, I'm going to tell you like this. This is a new one that will continue to increase in the public sphere. You think so? Oh, this is not this is going this is not going anywhere because even if, even if you become a meme for a whole month. But you talk remember the lady who called on the on the barbecue? Oh, it ain't going nowhere. There's there there's there's thousands of her out there. So no social social no. risk for No. Because they, they, embarrassment. Be, because the white nationalists, as well as uh, the racists, and they're you can, they're synonymous anyway. Um, they're emboldened now. Hmm. It's there's 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 no re, 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 repercussions for what they're doing. There's no did they lock the lady up? I mean, she cried, you know, because 
I don't know why she cried, right? Because she, I guess the blowback. But they didn't lock her up. They didn't find her. The lady that called on the student, the other student that called on the one that was sleeping in the common area. What happened to her? Right? If Even if they kicked her out the university, she's going to go to another one of privilege. So 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 the only time we change our behavior, brother, is when it is painful. That's the only time we we begin to change is when it's uncomfortable for us. That's basic change philosophy. Right. And these people are not uncomfortable. They're emboldened. Why? Because I saw the black guys get handcuffed and moved out. So what does that say? It worked. I, it, exactly. It worked. But this is nothing new. Eliza says, it's such a shame that people need prompts on how to treat their fellow man. <laughs> you would think it's that thing we call common sense, right? Not so common. Yeah, but this is based upon some some historical inaccuracies that are part of our founding documents and when many of the leaders of this nation house slaves when the leader the current leader of this nation uh, petitioned for the um, execution of the Central Park Five and when DNA said that no they did not do these crimes or this crime he still said they are guilty. So you, what do you do with that, right? Listen, controlling the lives of black people. I don't know what that was, but it was sound from heaven, I guess. <laughs> but controlling the lives of black people. This is what I want those, our, our white brothers and sisters to take away from this that when you are in the public sphere and you see minorities when you see an injustice against them use your privilege to stand up just like these people did in Starbucks I pray you have the courage and the fortitude to stand up and say no this is wrong because of the history and the continual subjugation of minority peoples in this country. You have privilege and we do not because history will speak of us. Somewhere in the distant future, a scribe will reach down deep into the archives of our time and what Will she find, will she discover that we overcame our differences? Will she find that out of many, we became one? Or will she find that we solved nothing and remain a divided peoples? Yes. History will speak of us. We can be the change that's in our lives. All we gotta do is work together We gotta raise our children better We gotta stop the hate, stop the hate And spread the love One mic, one voice You can change the world, it's your choice One mic, one voice You can change the world, it's your choice One mic, one voice You can change the world, it's your choice One mic, one Today's broadcast is being brought to you by Black and Studios. To learn more about Blacken Studios, please visit them at blackenstudios.com or visit them on their Facebook page, Blacken Studios. 
Today's broadcast is also being brought to you by Perry Publishing and Broadcasting. To learn more about Perry Publishing and Broadcasting, please visit their website at perrypublishingandbroadcasting.net. The opinions of the One Might One Voice show do not reflect the views of Black and Studios or Perry Publishing and Broadcasting. Thank you for downloading the One Might One Voice show.